This podcast is brought to you by Airbyte, the product and growth studio available at startup prices. If you're struggling with designing, building, or growing your vision, Airbyte may be the perfect partner. Learn more at airbyte.co.uk. Airbyte, building digital products with growth in mind. People would ask me, you know, I don't really understand what you do for work. Like, can you describe it? And I found a really great summary or a good analogy is to say it's kind of like conducting the orchestra. But that assumes that you have an orchestra. And uh, when you're doing things by yourself, you know, you really are on your own. There are things that you used to outsource to people because it was their, you know, specialist area of expertise. You know, there's just so much going on. It, it can feel quite overwhelming at times. And for me personally, inevitably led to burnout on several occasions. From Airbyte, this is Growth in Mind, a podcast about the stories behind the high growth startups and small businesses that are starting to make waves in the world. I, James Farnfield, speak with the founders and entrepreneurs about their personal and professional lives and how they intertwine to lead to building successful businesses today and how growth has been a part of who they are or who they have become. On today's episode, Kim Money, co-founder of How Am I Going, set out for adventure in her early 20s, from her lovely setting in New Zealand to the big smoke of London town. Her story is one of challenging herself and finding her feet in a new place before settling into her position at HR startup, How Am I Going? Alongside her co-founder, Julian, Kim has set about since 2018, challenging the norm of feedback in the workplace. Robert Asagio, famous Italian psychologist, said that there was no certainty, only adventure. For me, this represents most entrepreneurs' tribulations on their business journeys, and this is something that Kim Money has experienced firsthand. Moving not once, but twice to London from New Zealand, living a digital nomad's life, and entering a career that she had absolutely no idea what she was doing in. Kim has held roles such as Global Head of Product Marketing at Just Eat, and you'd expect to find a fleeting marketing university degree or background. In fact, Kim went to uni living and breathing history. In 1997, you left the University of Zago and you studied history. So how, how come you ended up in marketing? I ended up in marketing because I realized that a history degree wasn't going to take me very far. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I do remember doing four years of history because after the third year, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, I'll do another year at university. And it was only on the last week before exams at the end of my fourth year that we had a one-off session as a as a small class of people being uh, advised by our lecturers as to what kind of work we would be qualified to do now that we had this history degree or now that we were about to have this history degree. And the only job on the list that I even sort of real like recognized was to be a librarian and this uh this tutoring session was happening in the library and I was looking around thinking oh no this is this is not going to end well this is not the place for me uh and I just was like oh my god what else am I going to do and having uh uh, studied and and sort of lived in a flat chair alongside uh, several other commerce students who were all doing marketing degrees uh while I was studying history I thought actually that sounds way more interesting I think I'm going to pursue that and I had done economics at school as well and really enjoyed it and been quite good at it so I thought do you know what I think I'm going to ditch the history I'll take the the 
transferable skills and I know that I can write well and, and construct an argument. And ultimately it worked out that it meant I could write a really great brief and write copy and stuff like that. But um, at the time I was like, I think I just can't be a historian. And so I need to figure out something different. And it was uh, the catalyst of moving to London straight after university that really enabled me to try and basically blag my way into a marketing job, uh, which I did and ended up being quite good at. So I was really thrilled that, um, again, following my instinct did serve me quite well. I think I think if there's anyone listening that um, is potentially leaving university or, or looking for work, that they would be shocked to hear that you went from a history degree and then just three weeks in a new country found uh, found a new role. How, how did you come about that? Did you do lots of work experience during uh, university or was it just luck? Uh, <laughs> during university, I did have some work experience, but it was, you know, the usual kind of part-time, you know, work in retail, that kind of thing. I tried to work in hospitality on three occasions in the last couple of years at university. Uh, and I very quickly found out that hospitality was not for me because not only did I absolutely hate it, I was so terrible at it. And in all three places I tried to work, um, I would do a couple of shifts and I would go back in to find out where my next shift would be. And all of them told me that I'd been rostered off for the next week. And uh, I don't know if I was just being naive, but maybe just a little bit hopeful, but I would keep going back to check the roster to see if I was on it. And my name just was never on it. <laughs> so I think that was a sign to not do hospitality. But yeah, I ended up working in retail, um, working in clothing stores mainly. And I guess I learned a lot about um, people and sales and, uh, you know, those kinds of things through, and responsibility really, uh, through, through those experiences. But uh, when I got to London, uh, I really was just in a position where I had to kind of almost just sit quietly with myself and think, right, okay, well, what are my options here? And start to get quite logical about it. And I've learned since that that's exactly the same way that you start a business is just to kind of sit down and go, okay, cool. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm sure if I sit quietly and put some thought into it, I can probably figure it out. And uh, then it's just a case of kind of just going for it, putting yourself out there, doing the scary part, you know, asking people for things that, you know, can feel a little bit uneasy, uh, but, you know, just going through the process and sticking your hand up and, and you know, I guess to some degree fighting for yourself, explaining why you think you can do something. And sometimes I think it's just that little bit of courage and showing up and being brave that people can see that perhaps there's a spark in you and and if they get the connection from you that they will trust you and give you an opportunity that you might not otherwise have had. I think, uh, as, as I always like to do, it's best to kind of go back to the beginning. Um, so tell me about your family and childhood growing up. Oh, lovely question. Uh, so I come from a family of uh, five sisters, five girls, and uh, it was a pretty chaotic household as I'm sure you can imagine uh and yeah absolutely yeah uh we all went to the same school uh and had a lot of the same friends uh and yeah I guess I was really fortunate that my parents uh, placed such a huge importance and value on having a good education and um 
that they held us all to a really high standard and to them and they held they held themselves to a high standard as well so the rule was coming home from school every day uh you got to take a short break and have a snack but then you needed to go and do your homework and there was no kind of playtime or like watching tv or like ringing your friends <laughs> until your homework was done and i think just small habits like that have kind of stuck with me and so um you know the importance of keeping your room and your house and your space very clean and tidy uh, has also stuck with me. So I feel like these are habits that um, yeah, have served me well, even though at the time I was learning them, they felt really annoying. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned your parents there. What, what did they do growing up uh, in New Zealand? Uh, yeah, well, they're both, they both grew up in New Zealand. Uh, and, uh, my dad is a, a doctor, a GP, although he's recently retired and, uh, my mum had five girls to look after. So that was her priority. Although since we all left school and have left home and have grown up, she also spent 10 years volunteering, uh, at the local hospice in Dunedin. And so, uh, has been, you know, closely involved in the community as well, which is um, something I know that she really enjoyed doing and something that we're all really proud of. I always have New Zealand in mind or Kiwis in mind, a very active, very outside uh, with all the sports and, you know, fresh air. It's not quite the, the London smog. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it is. It is very outdoorsy, very beautiful. Uh, weirdly, the climate where I'm from in Dunedin is very similar to London's. So I, I don't feel uh, I don't feel like I'm that far away when uh, when I'm here on a day to day basis. It's it's very familiar. Uh, but yeah, we've been very very lucky to have grown up in such a place that is uh, so beautiful. And I didn't. I genuinely I, at the time I grew up there, I had no idea how beautiful it really was. And again, it's only through opposites that you can learn. Uh, you know, how to appreciate things in a different way from what you might have before. That said, I absolutely love living in London. It's, um, as I said before, my second time around here. I live here by choice. Um, it's such a fun place and I'm very, very fortunate to have both places to call home. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Very, very lucky. I'm very jealous. <laughs> uh, but uh, Yeah, I appreciate that nonetheless. Tell me about your education. Uh, were you a good student? What sort of school did you go to? I went to an all-girls school. Uh, it was a very small school, and I was very fortunate to have, uh, you know, really amazing teachers and uh, to have very small class sizes. And I guess um, on reflection, uh, to be surrounded by people who were, you know, uh, excellent students. So uh, I think there's a saying that, you know, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I didn't know or read about that until relatively recently in the last few years, perhaps. But certainly looking back, uh, I was fortunate to be surrounded by high performing people from a very young age. And uh, I see now that that has massively influenced and helped me in my career and what I do. Uh, so yeah, a small, a small girls school, um, that also caused me in, later in life to realize that I, I really enjoy um, having friends who are not girls as well. <laughs> it's a very important part of my of my day to day life is, uh, you know, having a much wider uh, friendship circle, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, school there. And then I Dunedin is a university town. Uh, that's where Otago University is based. And so I went straight to Otago University from school. And on reflection, I think a gap year might have been a good idea. Uh, but yeah, school and university there and then um, a second university degree from the University of Auckland Business School uh, in marketing once I had come to London had some fun uh, realized that I um, was going to go back to NZ for a while and then as I mentioned before realized that I needed to get some kind of qualification to back up this desire I had to work in the marketing world and um, because those degrees I guess were quite closely uh, you know 
quite close together in terms of timing. Uh, I then took a break from formal education for quite a while, but uh, in the last few years have become really, really interested again and learning as much as I can sort of proactively outside of my day-to-day work. And I think probably the most interesting uh, education that I've done recently or qualification, if you could even call it that, was the uh, was Seth, Gop- Seth Godin's Alt-MBA, which I completed about a year ago and uh, has also been incredibly transformative lately in my thinking and understanding of how things work in the world you know what kind of good questions to ask yourself and your colleagues and your business to make sure that you're on the right track so uh, yeah it's been a while between between qualifications but uh, I'm glad that I've come back to it at a time when I felt motivated as opposed to because I kind of had to. Sure and I mean two two lots of education for, for anyone, I think you need to take a break after that. So, uh, but now now the love and the fire has been kicked back in. So I appreciate that. You talked about your parents and your, your father being a GP. Did he and your parents, your mum, your dad, did they have any parental ambition for you? Did they want you to go a certain route, follow into medicine? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. They're, um, they never really said Uh, And they're so kind as to not influence in that way. I think their influence on me was really around uh, sort of ways of operating and expectations that you have of yourself and the way that you do things and holding yourself to a high standard and not to let your feathers be ruffled by external events that are outside of your control, those kinds of things. Um, That said, I wanted to be a journalist at the time I was at high school and because I'm the eldest of the five girls and I was in this kind of educational community of people who were kind of expected to go on to university and expected to do kind of amazing things. Um, You know, there were other girls that I went to school with who did go on to medical school and did go on to law school. And I just didn't feel that that was really for me. Uh, And unfortunately, being a journalist or, you know, journalism as a qualification was not a university qualification uh, at that point in time. I don't know if it is now at all either, but um, I was just expected to go to university. So uh, when I didn't get into law school, um, (laughs) which I didn't want to get into law school, uh, I think they might have been a little bit disappointed, uh, but they didn't let it show. And uh, I think they continued to show their trust, uh, trust in me and their support of me to let me follow whatever path was I was going to follow and uh, in the end I think it's worked out okay and I'm very very happy so uh, I think they're happy for me and I know that they're proud of me which feels good now. Jumping straight into the deep end post-university for you so not only did you pivot career from sort of history or a librarian as you say um, to marketing you also sort of jumped country you left country you left New Zealand to to move to London so you were in a completely foreign land and looking for a job in kind of a foreign discipline Uh, was that intimidating scary for you? (laughs) It was I haven't really thought about it summarized in such a kind and eloquent way but yeah it was and I think probably the hardest part and the part that would have been hardest for my parents would be would have been the first couple of weeks when I first arrived in London and because I didn't know anybody and I'd thrown myself so far out of my comfort zone I was just incredibly homesick and I would ring them I think if not daily nearly daily and just bawl my eyes out down the line and I'm sure I probably was breaking their hearts as much as I was breaking my own but I remember them saying you know 
you need to kind of give this a go, like stick it out, you can do it. And I felt compelled to like stay and to not get on a plane and come home as quickly as possible, like I had intended. And I think it was just through sort of surrendering to that process and accepting that I just had to get on with it and had to create my own luck. Uh, all of a sudden, when you change the way that you think about things and just kind of let it go um, and go, and roll with it, I guess, uh, you know, things started to work out really well. And was in, you know, within a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, I think I'd started a job working in the marketing department at IPC Media, uh, which was a very glamorous and fun place to work in the late 90s. Uh, and, you know, onwards from there, it all kind of worked out. Yeah, wow. So remind me, you are, you have five sisters. Is that right? I have four sisters. So I'm the four eldest. And they're one of five. And you're the eldest. Yeah. You, you set the precedent for leaving the country. Uh, so, you know, the oldest child leaving the nest. Did your siblings follow suit or, or did they did they stay in New Zealand? Yeah. Oh, that's such a lovely question. They did follow suit to some degree. So um, one of my sisters now lives in London and has lived here herself for goodness knows how long, probably about 10 or 12 years. Uh, she and I are both British citizens now, which we're also proud of. And uh, another of my sisters lived here uh, similar to me. She came over twice. Uh, she went back for a while in between um back to New Zealand uh, and but on her second visit here to the UK uh, ended up she's a teacher she uh, works now in the American international school system and so has uh, had uh, the you know great benefit and privilege of, li of living and working in, in other countries as well now through that and she's married to a lovely British guy and, ha and has two gorgeous kids so uh, so that's been three of us that have kind of sort of permanently or semi-permanently moved over to this part of the world and then I wow. have uh, two other sisters who are still based in New Zealand both of them have traveled and lived here sort of briefly uh, but have really set up home back in NZ. So after you left London the first time and went back to New Zealand you kind of actually stepped up your marketing career quite quickly um, around the the sort of turn of the century. Um, you worked your way right up to a marketing manager position in just, in just a few short years before coming back which obviously would have helped you uh, when you did come back to London, how how did you find that stepping stepping your career up um, so quickly um, back back home? I think that comes down to luck a little bit. Although you know, as people say, you create your own luck by you know um, hard work, uh, meeting opportunity, and uh, it was through uh, me going back to university in Auckland while working in a market a very you know low level uh, marketing job. You know, I was still very junior. Uh, but going back to university that enabled me to network and to meet some people, uh, a guy who was hiring, a lovely guy called Daniel Green uh, and another guy called Martin Fox who hired me uh, to go into a marketing role uh, within the company that they were sort of running. And um, so they were they were very kind and they were also very very good at what they did and they were able to sort of coach and teach and help me develop quite quickly uh, but it was, yeah, a combination of uh, having, you know, met the right people and asked the right questions and kind of put myself out there uh, and then just kind of, yeah, trusting my instincts. But also on reflection, it was about the incredible quality of the people that I ended up being surrounded by. And it wasn't until I left that environment, I wanted to go back into magazine publishing, thinking that that was going to be highly glamorous and wonderful um, that I found out that actually the experience I just had was absolutely world-class and 
uh, the magazine publishing world was, you know, not what I had in my mind. I'd massively romanticized it. And, you know, things that look glamorous from the outside often are not on the inside. And that was certainly my experience. And so that was really formative because it helped me see, um, helped me learn about what was great and what wasn't great, but it also helped me learn about what I like, what I don't like, what my values are, what I'm good at as a result of having such a beautiful, comfortable, nurturing environment kind of taken away from me and ending up somewhere that I really didn't like. And a, sh a short few months at a place that you really, really don't like uh, is so worth it. And it teaching you uh, about, you know, what you want to do next that is going to be more aligned to your, you know, your skills and what you enjoy. I'm just going to quickly jump through your career. I think you've mentioned a few bits uh, along the way. You went from Tesco to Blinkbox to Get to Just Eat. And by the time you left Just Eat, you were global head of product marketing, you, you know, quite a long way from starting out in a career that you didn't really know much about. Um, so, yeah, what, what happened at the end of uh, that time at Just Eat for you to, to move away from that? I had such a wonderful experience working there. It was uh, a really a sense of the stars aligning and having an opportunity to do something I'd not done before, but that called on everything I'd done to date. Uh, so the product uh, marketing role there was something that I had never envisaged myself doing, uh, but was fortunate enough to be offered. And I absolutely loved it. Having come from, you know, several experiences throughout my career where I had worked in places that were brilliant and wonderful and the culture was just on point and I felt so happy and at home there to then several other experiences that were the polar opposite of that where I was utterly miserable and just didn't feel like I fit in at all and learned so much about myself through those challenges you, I just eat was just the utopia. It was like everything I could possibly have dreamed of in terms of the business, the culture, the people, uh, the role, uh, the amount of challenge, the amount of support, the you know the amount of money, the budgets, like the whole thing was just an absolute dream. However, uh, I was then moved further into the product world, and I think I just had this massive episode of self doubt. And I can see that now on reflection, but at the time I just felt like, oh my goodness, I'm surrounded by all of these people in product and in engineering who have been doing this for, you know, 20 odd years, which was the amount of time I'd kind of spent in marketing at that point. But I just thought, oh my gosh, how could I possibly perform at that level um, when they've all been doing it for so long? And is this what I'm really good at? And I want to do something that I'm really, really good at. And I started to get obsessed with this thought of trying to uh, pursue my potential and to do something that I could be brilliant at or something I could be world-class at. And um, it's really, it's a really weird thing because uh, having kind of taken this leap and um, left there uh, on a bit of a whim, really, just to sort of chance it and see what I, what else I could do with myself, it was a very similar feeling uh, to the one I'd had when I left in Eden originally to come to London, like for no rhyme or reason, when nobody else in my family or friendship group had really travelled. Uh, it was a similar feeling leaving Just Eat and just kind of, you know, stepping off a cliff and being like, let's see what happens. And, you know, as luck would have it, the work that I do now is very, very similar to the work that I did at Just Eat. But I do it now with a lot more kind of experience and confidence under my belt, having really tested myself in the interim. But uh, yeah, Just Eat is a wonderful, wonderful company. And I will always be grateful to the incredible people there for the opportunity that they gave me. So you left Just Eat and then you started your own consultancy. So from working in 
very big organizations for the most of your career. You know, if I'm looking at your LinkedIn, I recognize pretty much all of the companies you've worked for. Why suddenly entrepreneurship, freelance work, you know, doing something on your own? How, how, where's that bug starting from? Yeah, uh, I'm not 100% sure other than I just had this sense that, again, there was something else out there for me and that I really just needed to give it a go. And I think at the time uh, that I left Just Eat, it was at a time when it was, you know, becoming uh, not uncommon to work remotely, say, or to, um, you know, have an arrangement where you could be in a cafe for half the day or, you know, potentially you could you could hire an Airbnb and, and work from somewhere near a beach. And it sounds a little bit ridiculous now that we've just had a year of COVID and that working from home is a thing that has been forced upon so many people. And like many of the other things um, I've experienced and a couple I've mentioned, whereby, you know, things that seem glamorous from the outside aren't from the inside. It was a case, I think, of just wanting to have a different lifestyle and to feeling like that uh, working in a digital way uh, and, and the type of business I had been working in that was technology led, that I could have this kind of seemingly glamorous lifestyle of basing myself from anywhere and uh, and doing something different and trying to figure out like, what am I really good at and where can I add the most value and, and kind of just how can I operate in this new way of being that's emerging globally through technology. And uh, that was kind of, yeah, what happened. Uh, and again, through that, I found that you know, all of this, uh, what I thought was, you know, glamorous remote working type stuff was actually not glamorous at all. Uh, and, you know, things that I thought were incredibly boring, like, you know, having a routine turned out to be so incredibly important uh, for my general well-being and survival. And so it's just been really a massive learning experience. Just just touching on your freelance experience and, and working for yourself. You, by this point, you were global head of product marketing at Just Eat. You had head of marketing positions before that. Did that cause any self-doubt when, for example, you weren't able to sell yourself? We weren't able to get new business. Was there, was there any anxiety there that, as you said before, about being able to do this? Yeah, huge amounts of anxiety. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's the thing that it made me realize that working in a big place kind of protects you from a lot of the reality of the doing of things. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of, an awful lot of experience in being able to uh, help direct other people to do things that are needed for a, a bigger project. You know, I often, people would ask me, you know, I, I don't really understand what you do for work. Like, can you describe it? And I found a really great summary or a good analogy is to say it's kind of like conducting the orchestra, but that assumes that you have an orchestra. And uh, when you're doing things by yourself, you know, you really are on your own. There are things that you used to outsource to people because it was their, you know, specialist area of expertise. You know, I remember working with this incredible guy at Just Eat who was, you know, a world-class expert on SEO. So if I wanted to, you know, get something ranked on a landing page for some kind of promotional thing, I could go and speak with him and get him to give me a hand. Whereas now, you know, if I was building some kind of website or landing page for myself, I had to do all of it by myself. And... Uh, it was incredibly challenging and it really makes you question, you know, you know, what am I good at and, and what's worth my time and what's not? And uh, yeah, then there's sort of the inevitable cash crunch that comes with working for yourself as well. You know, it's just trying to balance uh, a lot of uh, emotion and a lot of uh, kind of mental yeah, challenges, I guess. Um, yeah, there's just so much going on. It, it can feel quite overwhelming at times and 
for me personally, inevitably led to burnout on several occasions uh, without even at the beginning realizing what it was. Although now I'm you know, much more attuned to the signs and signals of it. I understand how to deal with it better, but again, only only through experience. So yeah, I feel like any kind of entrepreneurial endeavor, or for, for me anyway, in my lived experience, is that it's basically kind of a personal growth and development project dressed up as work. And I think other people get this in other ways and other endeavors that they pursue. But for me, that's certainly been the case. And it's been a huge learning curve over the last few years of, of working for myself, basically. I've worked freelance before in my life. There's nothing quite like it. Um, ups and downs on the daily um, compared to when you have that security and routine, as you said, um, at, a, at an organization when you're, a, when you're a paid employee. You worked freelance for a number of years, though. How, how did you find that over those three years? Yeah, um, I found it really, really challenging uh, trying to figure out, you know, how can I be of the most help to people having to just be a salesperson for yourself? Like it's not just about doing the job. It's about, you know, making sure that you have clients essentially. Uh, but yeah, primarily uh, my my number one client, it was just really ended up being just a, an arrangement for a way of working um, was with how am I going? And so, yeah, that's kind of been the, the primary focus of my time uh, for the last few years since leaving Just Eat. So you mentioned how am I going? You couldn't have done that without Julian, your co-founder. How did you meet Julian? I was extremely lucky to meet Julian through a mutual friend and at the time a colleague of mine, a guy called Justin, uh, who is one of Julian's best mates. And I met him as a result of having a really, really horrific experience uh, in the workplace that Justin and I were based in together. Um, and coming out of a meeting room crying one day, which was just awful. And uh, Justin saying to me, hey, my mate, Julian, you've not met him before, but he's uh, got an MVP up and running for a product that's going to completely kind of eliminate stupid performance reviews and improve the way that people get feedback at work. And based on the experience I just had, I was like, absolutely, that sounds amazing. I need to talk to him. So uh, yeah, basically I got his number and gave him a call. and. Uh, that's how we met. Just, uh, yeah, I guess um, on the same page with how, you know, the way things are done in workplaces doesn't necessarily make sense. And that there's a there's got to be a better way. And uh, so, yeah, I just spoke to him about what he was doing and um, how it was going. And over time, just started to work more and more closely with him. And yeah, here we are today, several years later, uh, with an amazing business. Mm. So when did this first conversation start? I think I first spoke to Julian sometime either late 2016 or early 2017, but we didn't actually meet in real life until after I had left Just Eat and after I think he had just also left uh, the company he was working for at the time, which I believe was JP Morgan, uh, to go full time to work on this project. And uh, so, yeah, it worked out well in terms of timing because we both had time available to actually kind of attempt to work together uh, from that moment onwards. And uh, so, yeah, it's been kind of a bit over three years of working together formally, but probably a year before that uh, where we were both doing other things and just, you know, chatting on you know, very rare occasions before we had really gotten to know each other. So, so once this conversation had taken place, uh, as you said, you left Justy and you end up going freelance and taking on other projects to, to, to sort of earn money. How did that initial conversation start? Yeah, you know, you spent the next few years 
as you say, selling selling your services, selling yourself in terms of in the marketing spectrum. How did you approach that conversation? Was it like, hi, I'm Kim. Uh, I, you know, I want to work with you. <laughs> uh, it was more. I think it was probably more the other way. Uh, I was thinking about what could I do to uh, kind of, I guess, for myself. Uh, network a little bit and meet some people and try and share stories with others who were trying to do something similar. And I remember inviting Julian to a mastermind group that I had just invented uh, to have breakfast with a couple of other friends who were also trying to do entrepreneurial things. And uh, he accepted that invitation. uh, And it was kind of through discussing uh, his idea for how am I going uh, at those kind of breakfast sessions that I got to know a bit more about it and realized that there were things I'd be able to do, you know, very easily from my experience to give him a hand. Uh, And yeah, over time, we just ended up talking more and more about his business, uh, less and less about what other ideas I had. And uh, eventually he invited me to work with him sort of formally in a marketing capacity, uh, working on a marketing plan and thinking about branding and the website and uh, sort of, I guess, the beginnings also of the company culture, accepting that there were going to need to be other people involved in in making this thing happen. So it was very organic, really. uh, But I was very fortunate and grateful to be invited by him to to work with him formally on that marketing uh, project, because uh, that was the beginning of everything. I mean, in terms of that initial thought process in your mind, was it a case of, ah, oh, do you know what? I'm fed up of working for big organizations, just want to do something on my own. Or was it, wow, Julian, you know, how am I going? That sounds amazing. Let's let's do that. Uh, it was probably a combination of things. I don't know if I could unpick it to that degree, uh, but there was absolutely a meeting of minds on uh, kind of how things could be done differently and so much better uh, just for the experience of a regular human being, you know, just things that we'd both experienced working in big places where they just didn't make any sense uh, and where, you know, people are rude and they don't say thank you and they treat you like a number and, you know, just all of these things that didn't feel right. And so, uh, yeah, we were able to align on kind of our vision for what we thought it would be to make a company an amazing place to work and just a cool, fun thing to do. And it kind of all grew out of that, I think. Mm, nice. And the name, how am I going? Uh, how, you know, how did you come up with the name? <laughs> I can take no credit for that. Uh, that's from Julian directly. Uh, how am I going is a very common terminology uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. I think in uh, the US and perhaps even the UK, people default more towards how am I doing? But certainly um, where you might say or might hear how am I doing in some countries, uh, in New Zealand and Australia, people would say how am I going? And it means exactly the same thing. So, uh, yeah, it's um, really about asking yourself and, ha- and asking others to help you understand, you know, how are you going? How are you getting on with the things that you're working on? And how are you supporting them or not supporting them? How are you blocking them? Like, how can you do things differently or better um, so that you can be your best and so that the team you work in can be an amazing team? And so collectively as a group of people and as a company, you know, you can perform and succeed. I love that. You started in 2016-17 discussing this entrepreneurship project, which is probably pretty scary at the time. You launched How Am I Going in 2018. What were you doing in that sort of initial couple of years? 
Uh, the initial couple of years, uh, for me, it was a part-time gig. Uh, for Julian, it was full-time and it was working on building the the software, I guess, uh, trying to onboard our first customers and understand, you know, what worked for them and what didn't and really just begin that whole kind of product development process from the ground up. Uh, it was everything, you know, as as any startup, it's it's all of the different parts, but you can only take them one at a time. So, you know, you need to work out who are your customers going to be, you know, what are their needs, you know, what's the problem you're solving, what's broken for them, you know, what is it at a particular point in time that would cause them to want to rethink the thing that they're doing or, or perhaps to, to implement a, a process for feedback because they don't have one at all. Uh, and then, you know, just going through the process, talking to people, um, understanding what you're going to build, uh, building it, uh, hopefully, you know, at an MVP level, that means you've got something you can shop around and, and test out uh, good enough that people will love it, but it doesn't have to be perfect in finding that balance. And then, you know, onwards from there, um, experimenting, building out the team a little bit, you know, figuring out which bits and which functions in the business that you need and don't have and how do they work. And, you know, it's just, um, it's an absolute maze of, of problem solving and knowledge work, but because it's all new and it's exciting and it's yours, it's just so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, that's it about entrepreneurship, right? Yeah, hopefully you have fun along the way. Um, so in terms of, software as a solution your marketing background and julian banking background finance why suddenly tech software as a solution it's it's uh it's a scary prospect with no previous experience <laughs> yeah it is i think uh because there it just didn't make sense that there were so many businesses and big you know well-funded profitable businesses out there doing things in a way that was just so antiquated and time consuming and either not using tech at all or using it in such an inefficient way that it just seemed like you know there's like i said before there's got to be a better way you know people hate doing feedback at work. People really despise performance reviews because they are usually so, um, they're so arbitrary, you know, they're done to to follow a process because somebody up the chain once upon a time said that this is something that we're supposed to do. They're not taken seriously and they're not helpful and people can be quite fearful of them. And it just seemed like such an epic waste of time and energy and effort when, you know, most people want to excel in their role. They want to do a good job for themselves and for the business. You know, they're there for a reason, but they can't do that in a vacuum of information. And I remember myself on several occasions working in different places and feeling like, I just wish that someone could tell me, you know, where do I stand on this or give me some feedback, but it's just not the culture. And so uh, part of the, the SaaS solution is to make it available uh, for anyone to use at any time so that they're not blocked by a company process or, you know, kind of a, this is how we do things around here mentality that prevents them from getting that information that's going to make a material difference to, you know, just their energy on a given day or um, their lack of fear and wondering where they stand or, you know, the additional bonds that it can help them build with their colleagues when people are open and honest with each other. Software as a solution is is expensive. It's you need to employ developers or potentially need to outsource it. Um, at this point, when you guys originally started having the conversation, you both had pretty successful careers by that point. How, how did you raise money or did you self-fund the, the project in the initial stages? 
you know, this is all down to Julian at the beginning. Uh, he self-funded the very first MVP and then having come from a background in investment banking uh, was thankfully, you know, confident and well-connected enough to be able to go and raise initial financing. Um, and if it wasn't for him doing that, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Uh, he is a very brainy dude and he's excellent at maths as well. So we complement each other very well in that regard. Uh, I'm very much a words person, uh, but thankfully um, his business and, and finance and, you know, statistical and maths related background was really, really helpful in having those kinds of conversations. And I'm grateful to have been brought into that process uh, since, you know, those earlier days. And it's been a huge uh, learning curve and learning opportunity for me to see what it's like to actually have to go and tell your story in a way uh, that is compelling, but it's also truthful, such that you know people uh, decide whether or not they they buy into your dream and are willing to support it financially. Throughout the process of any entrepreneurship venture, there's always ups and downs. Can you can you uh, highlight any sort of times where you just weren't sleeping at night, or you know? breaking down in tears during how am I going uh, initial stages? Yeah, sure. I mean, it happens. <laughs> it happens all the time. It still happens. Uh, you know, every business, uh, every startup especially has its moments. Uh, you know, there are lots of books to read, lots of podcasts to listen to where you'll get lots of great advice. But uh, certainly I remember reading the book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And they're talking there about how every startup will have at least two very, very close calls of life and death and I think those times in the business where you know something that you're doing that you love so so much and get so much joy from uh, the thought that it might be taken away from you because you know the funding round hasn't closed in enough time or you know a couple of customers or a couple of sales slip through the cracks or whatever it might have been um, you know those are really testing times and you have to be able to kind of deal with them effectively from a business perspective and a commercial perspective, but also you personally have to learn how to navigate that so that you can survive, you know, personally and, and mentally. So there have been some tough calls. I've certainly had episodes of burnout. I've had plenty of nights where I didn't get any sleep at all. Uh, and those are looking back in some ways, you know, quite exciting because they're real moments in time of sort of high drama, uh, but they are also bloody awful to navigate and they teach you a lot about yourself. And uh, I'm sure there'll be more in the future, but yeah, we've definitely had our close calls with, with all sorts of different things. And I'm so grateful that we are still standing. Back in 2018, where you went full time um, on How Am I Going?, what what was the turning point what what happened there which conversation was had that you decided to go full time or was that always the plan uh i no it wasn't necessarily a plan that was spoken about uh i mentioned that i left just eat and i wanted to kind of experiment with the glamour or what i thought was the glamour of a remote working lifestyle and so uh, i took some time to do that and i traveled a lot and worked remotely a lot and worked um the entire time for how am i going but on a part-time basis and uh by the time i came back to london i was just so bloody delighted to be back you know, in what is now my home uh, and to be able to unpack and like, you know, not live out of a suitcase anymore. Uh, and, you know, during that time, the business had grown. Um, we'd signed, you know, a, a lot of new customers and uh, I was back in London and yeah, Julian invited me to, to sort of join full time or to ask me if I would join full time. And having had the experiences that I'd had, you know, good and bad, I realized that actually, 
what's important to me is being in an environment where I can do my best work surrounded by incredible people who, you know, I, I'm I compliment, you know, or they compliment me in terms of our skill set. And it's just um, been such a fun project from the outset. And I uh, find it's, it's the best of it's the best of all worlds. Um, you know, Just Eat was the utopia of, of working in a big organization. But because I've had the opportunity to shape the culture and the way that we do things at How Am I Going, this is this is really the best of all worlds for me. And um, when that chance came up to, to do this more, uh, I just absolutely couldn't turn it down. We're having this conversation in 2021 during a COVID-19 global pandemic. How's that affected you, your business um, today? It's been a really interesting time as it has for everybody. It's something that I'm still reflecting on and probably won't have a full sense of for a while yet. It's taught me a lot about the boundaries that are important for me to have in place in my life so that I can perform at my best uh, in all aspects of life. So uh, I'm talking to you today uh, from the luxury of a WeWork, which is completely deserted. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, because I found that uh, having that boundary between work life and home life is incredibly important and you know people find that in different ways but I live in central London in a tiny flat and there's really you know only enough room for one person to work successfully in that space at a time and my husband's there at the moment so uh yeah we uh we kind of share share different spaces to work in but we've found that 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 boundary is really really important uh I have learned a lot about myself in terms of um what drives me to to work hard uh but also learned that uh that drive to work hard can be counterproductive when you push it too far and I mentioned before that I've experienced burnout as I know many many people will have but certainly it's amplified uh the sort of signs and signals of that to the point now where I feel a lot more comfortable and confident in saying do you know what actually I know that I feel like I need to do these five million things by the end of the week but actually if I don't stop today at a regular time I am definitely going to collapse in a big heap and it's going to be ugly so uh, that's been a huge learning Uh, for us as a business um, our culture has been incredibly important uh, and being able to be as open and honest and vulnerable as we are with each other as people has been hugely helpful in all of us being able to support each other and simply being able to survive and get through this while still, you know, operating a startup and uh, still, you know, delivering a great product and great work. And uh, I'd say probably one of the other big things for us is that we were primarily, you know, targeting and working with uh, businesses uh, of a smaller size, and a lot of those businesses have obviously been challenged themselves through this time. And so it's forced us to to relook at, you know, who is the the best business for our product, and how do we need to adapt. Uh, to the circumstances as they change, you know, as everybody else is doing as well. It's just a, an incredibly fascinating time to to be alive, really, and to be here and to be going through all of this. And uh, I hope that I have a, a more eloquent reflection at some point in the future. But today, that's what comes to mind. So since 2018, um, when you went full time um, at, at your business, how am I going? How's business growth? sales generally year on year employee count etc yeah employee count is one that uh, we have experimented with and it's one that people talk about uh, a lot you know this oh how many people have you got on the team now 
And one of the things that we've learned is that uh, having a bigger team doesn't necessarily make a bigger or better business. And one of the things I've learned personally, having worked also in very, very large businesses over time and now working in a very small one, is that working uh, in a small, very tight-knit, high-performing team is my preferred way of operating. And if you've got great people in the right roles and you've got a great culture where everybody feels at home and that they can do their best, uh, that you know you can do amazing things with not very many people. And so that's been an interesting learning. Um, we were very marketing focused for a while, uh, but we pivoted our product and relaunched it completely, completely built from the ground up, um, brand new tech stack, everything, uh, less than a year ago. It was on the 1st of April, 2020. And so having done that gives us a lot more flexibility in our ability to, uh, I guess, in our ability to drive leads from different, uh, in different ways. So we're now a combination of sort of, um, I guess, marketing, lead generation, uh, you know, traffic flow through to the website, through to enabling people to sign up to the product themselves without intervention from us, through to having an amazing sales team who are able to go and spend the time talking with people and really hand, holding their hands through the process uh, and onboarding, you know, much bigger teams and companies. Uh, but yeah, it's been an interesting learning curve, just kind of even going through that process to figure out, you know, how can we operate most effectively from a commercial perspective during, you know, what was an incredibly weird time. Mm, yeah, for sure. What's the biggest barrier to your success moving forward? Oh, James, what a question. <laughs> uh, I think uh, it's probably, we have an amazing product and we have an amazing team and we have done everything we possibly can to set ourselves up for success. And so to some degree, I think it's about being vigilant to the environment as it changes on a sort of a daily and weekly basis at the moment. And ultimately, it's about finding kind of the next level of product market fit. And uh, it's kind of that hard work meets opportunity being the, the factors that create luck. And like with anything that really takes off, I think there's an element of the stars needing to align. So up until this point, I believe that they have, although we've worked bloody hard for it. Um, now it's just a case of doing our best as individuals and as a team to take everything we've learned and execute as well as we can and just have that intention that it's going to work out and belief that it's going to work out. So, um, yeah, probably if anything, the biggest obstacle is ourselves and how, how we do things. Awesome. And I'm going to end with a question that I always like to ask, which is, do you think business growth is a mindset or something that can be learned along the way? Oh, I've never considered that question before. I think it's a combination of both. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, as you asked me that last question, I think the intention uh, that you have and your expectation that something will or will not work out uh, is an underlying factor in whether or not something does. And if it doesn't, then it's obviously uh, something that you need to learn from. And there's an element of resilience there that also is part of the learning experience. Uh, but there are some, you know, kind of technical and practical factors that are known to influence uh, your ability to deliver growth, uh, you know, both positively and negatively. So uh, I think that having the right mindset is incredibly helpful and is a foundational requirement. 
but unless you take action uh, in the right ways, then uh, it can be self-defeating. So uh, like with all things, uh, finding a balance between the two is probably incredibly important in making it work. That was Kim Money of How Am I Going? And one of the topics that we didn't touch on in this episode was her personal relationships. Kim's husband has seen it all, her ups and downs from being a part of a successful startup. She touched upon how luck has been a part of her business and personal life. And this is what she had to say about meeting her Kiwi slash Birmingham born husband through a fortunate meeting in London through a mutual friend from back home in New Zealand. Yeah, Combo. He was born in Birmingham. Uh, so he has a British passport, was born here, but then his family moved to New Zealand when he was about one, one year old. So basically he grew up as a Kiwi kid, uh, but has spent a lot of time himself kind of traveling backwards and forwards, living in the UK on various occasions, a few of those occasions before I met him, um, but then obviously together with me in the time that we've been married. So Yes, he was visiting, um, visiting his friends who were here, who were my friends too, uh, and we met that way. Uh, So yeah, we've been together. Uh, We just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary in between Christmas and New Year. Wow, congratulations. That's quite impressive. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show of Growth in Mind. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can get in touch with us about product and marketing services at airbyte.uk. This week's episode was produced by Alexi Buckingham with music by Ten Hands High. I am James Farnfield and you've been listening to Growth in Mind.